Thank you, Father. It's wonderful to be able to come wherever we may be, Lord, just to give you praise, to give you worship and to lift you up in song. And we thank you that you are good. In the midst of this, when we can become distracted, anxious, fearful, it's good to be reminded of who you are once more. Lord, you are our foundation, you are our rock. So now as we come to your word, we pray that it will also continue to encourage us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us and speaking to us. So prepare our hearts, Lord, to hear from you this morning, we pray. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. It's good to be here. You know, there are some phrases that we never get tired of hearing. If you're with someone, if you're in your lounge room or you're watching and there's someone else there, I want you to turn to them and simply say these words, you are awesome. You might want to even use their name, put it in there. Vincent, you're awesome. (laughs) He's back there, by the way. (laughs) Try it. Turn to someone in the room and tell them, hey, you know, you're awesome. I'm guessing you're doing that right now or just staring blankly at the screen. But if you did share that and if you heard it, even the, the fact that I forced you to do that probably stirred something within you. Something within you sort of tinged a little and went, oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's interesting. There are some phrases that we never get tired of hearing. For instance, when we've done a good job and we've put our work into something, when, when someone turns to us and simply says, you know, good work, great, great job, you did, you did a wonderful job. And when we we, we do another job, we do something else and someone turns and says that to us, we don't say, no, no, I've been told that once before in my lifetime, it's okay. No, no, we receive it and it has as much power if it's said with with authenticity and if if it's meant. In the same way, the phrase, I love you, three simple words that are quite powerful and and if you're married here and and when you were married and uh, like Ryan and Kelly... When you stood there before people and before God and you made some promises to one another, um, as a part of that was a declaration that I love you and that I will dedicate my life to you. Now, can I just give you some advice for married couples? That's not the only time that you should say those words. Again and again, we need to remind each other, I love you. You I've committed my life to you. No matter what happens, I will stand by you. And when we say those words with meaning... They're, they're, they're powerful. They're just as powerful the first time they were said. It's when a parent turns to a child and shows appreciation or, or care and says, I love you. When a friend turns to another friend and says, you know, I really appreciate you. I, I really appreciate the friend that you are and, and my life wouldn't be the way that it is. It wouldn't be the same if it wasn't for your friendship. Those types of words never grow old. There is power in hearing some phrases again. And today we're going to look at some good old truths. A couple of weeks ago I came and declared a number of promises that God shares with us and today I feel led to do the same. So you could call today's message or you could title it Standing on the Promises of God Part 2. It's interesting because today is Palm Sunday as we lead uh, into Easter next weekend and, and I should pause 
We will be celebrating Easter. We will be live streaming again Sunday morning. Uh, We will have a service on the Friday. We're going to hold that on Friday night at 7.30. So if you want, as parents, you can tuck the kids down uh, to bed if they're a bit young um, and the older ones can stay out with you and be a part of that. And that's going to be a time to reflect on the journey to the cross. So come and be a part of that. And today is Palm Sunday leading into that event, as Catherine shared. But I must admit, in the midst of this season, um, I heard some words and a, a passage that another pastor shared. And the passage and those words, they stuck. They were actually from Pastor Sam from ECBC as he was sharing and encouraging me. And they came from what I believe is one of the most unlikely of places. It's the book of Haggai, one of the minor prophets, uh, one of the smaller books in the Bible. In my Bible, it's only two pages long. It's only two chapters long and it's so easy even to skip over it. Yet, as I heard these words a number of weeks ago, I couldn't shake them. And after sitting and praying about today, I feel led to share them with you. Now, if you know anything about the book of of Haggai, you might be thinking, Wally, really? The book of Haggai. Could there be a more obscure book? One of the little prophets towards the end of the Old Testament, like I said, only a couple pages long. And to share a little bit of its context, this book was written in 520 BC to the post-exilic Jews living in Judah. So, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, had been unfaithful to God and for centuries he sent prophets to warn them and tell them, unless you turn from your ways, I will give you over to another nation and they didn't heed God's advice and sure enough God would send and allow the great empire of Babylon to take God's chosen people captive and their city and their great temple was destroyed. But the prophets also believed in the hope of a new Jerusalem and a new temple where God would reside with his people once more and they encouraged God's people, even while they were taken prisoner and they lived in exile. Now, the years went on and the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians. Mind you, God's chosen people are still held in captivity now by the Persians, but the Persians allow some of those who wish to return to their homeland, they allow them to go back to Jerusalem, which still laid in rubble and in ruin, mind you, allow them to go back and to start to rebuild And so this book is written to those who have returned to rebuild the city. And I want to read from chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 5. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles with me. If you don't have it there, run, go get one. And we'll read together. I'm reading from the NLT translation. Chapter 1. On August 29th, of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. 
You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. And why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. And on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign, chapter 2. Then on October 17 of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendour? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised you when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. What an interesting story. And in the midst of it, we see a number of promises that God gives to his people in this season. What do we see first? It's interesting. If you look at the very beginning from verses 5 to 7, God through the prophet gives his people two warnings, a a rebuke you could say. And in verse 5 and verse 7, the Lord says, look what is happening to you. Some translations say, give careful thought. Here is the question that God is giving to this people. Look at your lives. Ponder on the way that you were living. Observe. Take notice. Take a close look at what you were doing. And God accuses them, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? So it seems these people were not just building homes to get by and then to start building the temple. No, they were building luxurious homes. And that takes time. You don't come to a place that is completely destroyed and just start doing that. No, it takes effort, it takes energy and they're not only building what they need, they're building in luxury. And so God calls this out and says, why are you building your own homes in such luxury while my home, the very purpose you came, 
lies in ruin. And in verse 9, he also shares, it's because of you, says God, that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. This is a strong word. God is saying to his people here, I am withholding my blessing because you are not being obedient to me. Because my priorities, says God, are not your priorities. Your priorities are misplaced, says the Lord God. You came to build the temple, but no, you are focusing on building your own luxurious homes. Take a look at yourselves, says God. And it's interesting, God gets our attention in many ways. In days of old, he would send prophets like Haggai. He would send them with a message and a word. God would at times also send trial and and persecution and tough times to get the attention of his people. In in the way that, that God's chosen people were taken into exile, that was done so that they would take a look at their lives. It seems that trial and difficult seasons help get our attention. We know that every good and perfect gift is from God. We know that the trials and the struggles we have now come from a broken and a sinful world, but God still uses these things and allows them to shape us and to draw us to himself. And we live in an interesting time. But I've noticed that as we have more time, less time to run around and be busy, we have more time at the moment to think about the priorities of life. I wonder if you found yourself doing so. I know I have. I know I've also had many conversations with people and in the midst of this season, it seems that people are noticing what means something to them again. It's an opportunity for, for us to stop, to, to stop and take stock of our lives. As God says, to pause and to look at our lives and to ask, what are the priorities of my life? As followers of Jesus, this is an opportunity to ask, Lord, where do I stand with you? Have I become focused on other things? Have my priorities become my own? Are you a part of my life, but are you not the centre of my life? And it's a real challenge. And I put it to you that in this season we have an opportunity to look at our own lives and ask, to ask God with honesty, Father, how am I living my life? Show me, reveal to me, Lord, if you are not my priority. We also know in this season that our mission remains. We've said that a number of times that we may not be gathering together, but our mission has not changed to be followers of Jesus Christ, to love him and to make disciples of all nations. This mission has not changed. In Haggai's time, their mission was to build a temple Our mission still remains to go and to make disciples of all nations. And so even in this season, it's an opportunity to refocus our eyes on what God is calling us to do. And it's easy to get distracted at the moment, isn't it? There's so much anxiety and fear. 
we can get so caught up in everything else that is going around us that we can forget to keep living for our Lord and our Saviour. And so this was the word that God gave to his people. And this was their response. You'll find it in verse 12. They began to obey the message from the Lord their God and the people feared the Lord. What wonderful news. Wonderful news because God's people didn't always follow. (laughs) They were often stubborn. But in this instance they heard the word from God and they obeyed him. They turned, they repented. They turned from their previous action and we read they feared him. The message that God gave sunk in and they were able to turn their lives back to focus on him, to obey him once more and to put their priorities right and to to put God first in their lives. So it's a challenge for us and for you this morning. How will you respond this morning? In the midst of this season as God asks you to take stock and to look at your life, Will you turn and continue to live for him? Are there things that God is placing on your heart maybe that you need to put aside? Do you need to refocus? My prayer is that you will also, like the God's chosen people in Haggai, turn with a renewed passion to live for him. I hope that this might be a season where your awe and reverence for God is renewed. As we stop relying on ourselves and as we rely on him all the more. And if you do, here's the beautiful part, if you do, the good part is still to come. For God has a host of promises that he gives his people to those who turn to him and obey him and put him first once more. He, he has a whole host of promises for those who walk with him and for us, these promises still apply. They were given hundreds of years ago but they are still reaffirmed in the New Testament and through Jesus Christ. God's promises are for us and for us in this season. And so I want to declare them together this morning. God's promise, two promises. And out of of that promise, I guess, a reaction and a response. The first is this. In Haggai 1.13, I am with you, says the Lord. And then again, in in chapter 2, verse 4, it's reiterated. It's mentioned again, I am with you. Pause and think about that for a moment. Wherever you find yourself in this season, no matter how hard this time is, maybe as fear takes hold as anxiety does, I want you to know this, that God is with you. If you have placed your trust in him, He is with you through all seasons, good or bad. I pray for you today that you can be reminded again that through all things he is with you. God is with you. In Haggai 2.4 we also read, I am with you, says God, and then he says, Be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Jeshua, be strong, all you people. This is an interesting phrase because God encourages his people to be strong three times but he addresses each one of those statements to to, to three people or three groups. First to Zerubbabel and then to Jeshua, two of the, the leaders of God's people. And if you will, it's almost like 
He grabs one of them first, Zerubbabel by the shoulders, and looks deep in his eyes and says, Be strong. And then he turns to Zerubbabel and, and sorry, to Jeshua, and grabs him by the shoulders and looks in, deep in his eyes and says, And you be strong. And then he turns to the crowd and all of the people there and he looks deep into their eyes and says, And you be strong. I am with you, says God, so you can be strong. And so God this, God this morning wants to remind you to be strong in this season because he is with you. He will give you the strength to see this season through. He holds you by the shoulders. He looks deep into your eyes. He says, I'm with you, so be strong. It's interesting that with this encouragement is this encouragement to be strong and then now get to work. That, that sounds so much like a parent. I'm not sure. It's like, it's like your parents, they give you a bit of encouragement or maybe a teacher or in the workplace. You can do this now. Get back to work. Go back out there. You see, this encouragement from God, this strength that he gives us is so that we can continue to live our lives for him, so that we can continue to keep our eyes focused on loving him, loving people and making disciples of all nations. It sounds similar to the words found in Matthew 28, the great commission that Jesus gave. Jesus turned to his disciples before he left and said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. That, that, that's our mission and that's still our mission today. And his promise, be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The promise still stands. Our God is still with us. He still gives us the strength to live our days for him. So God is with you and he will enable you to live for him through all seasons, especially and certainly this one. So there's the first promise, the first encouragement. I am with you, so be strong and continue on. Here's the next. In Haggai 2.5, right at the end of this passage, my spirit remains among you. My spirit lives in you is the promise. My spirit lives in you. In New Testament times we read in Romans 6 verse 10 to 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about that through this Easter season. The very Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. The same Spirit we read, just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. The same Spirit who raised Jesus lives in you, lives in me. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love and of self-discipline. Verse 8 you often don't read. Verse 8 continues, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Similar to that first idea, God is with you, so continue to live your life. Continue to live uh, loving me, loving people. The second promise is the same. My spirit lives in you, so don't be afraid. Continue to go and to live for me, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid. 
continue on is the encouragement again. There's a lot of fear at the moment, have you noticed? You talk to different people and it, it seems that uh, there's a different conspiracy theory around each corner and uh, there's this, this anxiety, this, this underwritten anxiety that's just present at the moment. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we can be encouraged to know that God is with us. We can be encouraged to know that his Holy Spirit lives within us so we don't need to fear. We can continue to live for him like before, knowing that he will give us the strength to carry on. He will get us through. If we let these two promises, these two truths that God is with us and that his spirit lives in us, if we let those sink in, and I pray that today they are, it will completely change the way we live our lives in this season. As those around us who do not have this hope, as those around us find themselves living in fear and anxiety, we have this new confidence in our faith and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the things around us are still occur, but we can find our, ourselves steadfast. We don't have to worry. We have this hope knowing that God is with us, that he's taking care of us, that his Holy Spirit is in us and getting us through and in, and in all things and in all seasons. Because God is with us and because his Spirit resides in us, we can have a new confidence in this season. I, I spoke to someone recently um, and they were just sharing that uh, they, they were in a tough situation um, and they were sharing with a friend of theirs who, who is not a believer, just simply that they don't have to fear because they, they, they have faith in Jesus that, that God will get them through. And, and that person turned and simply said, wow, you know, I, I don't have the faith that you have, but I wish I did. I wish I did. This person was able to recognise a hope and a difference in this person. And this is our part to play in the midst of this season. Can I say, I've heard different responses in the midst of this pandemic and some Christians are acting in a sense like this is the persecution of the church and there's all these theories flying around of end times and so forth. Now I must admit Jesus did talk about the end days and that there would be trials, there would be persecution. However, when you look closer, you see that they're specifically targeted to God's people and to the church. I want to say and put it straight in this season, we're not being persecuted as a people of God. Yes, this is a trial. Yes, these are tough times. But we walk together in this with our entire world, believers, unbelievers alike. And if we hold on to this idea that we are being persecuted, what we do is we push those away from us who don't believe in Jesus. We separate ourselves as being other. But if anything, this is a season for us to walk with those who do not believe, to bring hope, to give encouragement and to point the way to a God who loves us and gives us strength in the midst of this season. So my prayer is that you may know God is with you. You may know his Holy Spirit lives in you and that you may go out, maybe not in meetings, <laughs> but as you interact with people who don't have faith, be bold. Share your faith. Share the hope that you have. People need it all the more in this time. 
And I pray that in this season there will be a great harvest, that people will reach out to our Lord and our Saviour and find hope in Him. We have the privilege of being a part of that, of speaking life and hope into those around us. We can live our lives with a renewed purpose in this season. We can find encouragement to go on. We can live with a fearless hope because God is with us and his Holy Spirit lives in us. I pray those truths sink deeply for you today. In the midst of this unknown in our day, I would like you to be encouraged. And as we celebrate communion here, and yes, we're going to do that now. You might even want to press pause and run and get your bread or a cup and then come back. I'll still be here. But if you've got it there ready. In the midst of this season, we are reminded that our God is with us. If these words are not enough, then when we look to the cross, we are reminded of the extent that God would go to to show us that he is with us, that he is for us, that he would send his only son, Jesus, to come to reveal himself to us, to die for us and to rise again so that we might have life and then to pour out his Holy Spirit to live within us. If these promises in Haggai aren't enough, I pray that as we come to these elements, they may be a reminder again that our God is for us. And if you have placed your faith in him, I invite you to come and to take your bread and to take the cup to be reminded right here again just how much our God loves us. I'd like to read from Luke from Luke 22, from verse 14. And this is the account of Jesus sitting with his disciples when they shared the the Lord's Supper. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he said, Take this and share it among yourselves for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance, Jesus says. And so as we come, I have some bread and I have a cup. I want to pray over these the way Jesus did. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you would come and give your life for us. That you would go to the cross and that your body would be broken and that your blood would be shed to make it possible for us to know you and to be restored by you. And so we take this bread now, Father, and we pray that you bless it. We take this cup, may you bless it. May they be for us, Lord, your body, 
and your blood. May they help us and cause us to remember who you are and your great and amazing love for each one of us. We just want to thank you and give you praise. So now I would encourage you as you're there, if you're on your own, take these elements in your time. If you're there with family, I encourage you to take the bread and, and then the cup and pass it to one another. Break a piece off. You may even like to say, this is the body of Christ broken for you as you pass the bread. And as you pass the cup, you may like to say, this is the blood of Christ broken for you. Take them and eat them in remembrance. I'm going to pray now. And then a song is going to play. I'm going to pray now and and say goodbye, farewell. Look forward to seeing you next week. But as the song plays, keep the live stream going so you can hear it. But use that just in the background as you share this time together. And then pray with each other too. Take some time to pray and to thank God for who he is. Take time to pray together as a family as you do this. You may even like to, uh, later on when you have lunch and you're sharing a meal together, again pause and say, wow, it was over a meal like this that they, they, they celebrated communion. And pray again, thanking Jesus for who he is. I'm going to pray now and to close and to say goodbye and allow you to share in this time together with those around you. Thank you, Father, that we could come here today and to hear from your word and be encouraged by you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit lives within us. Give us the courage, we pray, to live our days for you. And we thank you for this bread. We thank you for this cup, a reminder of your amazing love for us. And we come and we just give you praise and thank you for who you are. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen.